The Lamb was for us sinners slain, giving up for all His glorious fame. Taking on the human race's blame, carrying off our guilt and shame. Redeeming us is why He came. Though dead and buried, He lives again. Paying totally our indebted claim, His sinful loss became our righteous gain. Gave His life, washed away our stains, saving all from evil's pains. Finding us, He changed our names, and by His grace, this loser reigns. In Christ alone I will remain. Now I'm free from Satan's domain. From wicked paths I shall refrain. And with His help, this will sustain. I'll never be the same. Make knowing Him your holy aim. And you too will never be the same. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever would believe in Him would not have to perish but could have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. The reason the good news of the Gospel is good news is the bad news is the truth. The truth is we've got a problem in the world called sin. People do amazingly evil things. Read the newspaper. Visit the jail. And those are just the people that got caught. We have a problem. We need to be redeemed. So the Son of God came not to condemn the already condemned, but He came to redeem us so that through faith in Him, the fact that He took upon Himself the blame for our shame and our sin, and He died on the cross putting that shame that he was carrying for us to death he's risen from the grave to give us a new start through faith in that it changes us we're born again the bible says and that's the truth are you glad about it thank you lord for jesus christ that's a good question i don't know god's son why why is this a quiz God's son? Is that what you think? I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's what I think. Yeah. He's the son of God. He's also our savior. He was a man who lived in the beginning of the century who uh, died on the cross to save the whole world. Death and hell. Who is he? Uh, I don't really know. You ever thought about it? I knew the guy personally. What's that? I knew the guy personally. There's plenty of books about it, though. Have you ever thought about it? What? Oh, sure. What have you come up with? Uh, nothing substantial. Nothing substantial for your interview. Are you still checking it out? Or is there any reason to check it out? Not for me. He's some guy who lived a long time ago. And he's probably a pretty nice guy, but people probably made stories about him a lot, lot bigger and everyone believes he's a god. What about you? I, uh, I think he's uh, a figure that people can look up to. Uh, just something big. I, I don't know, man. I try, I try to go to church, but... Well, who, who do you think Jesus is? A man who walked on this planet just like everybody else. Is there any reason to, uh, to decide who he was or is? No. Let's walk. Who are you? I'm Kevin. No, who are you? 
Who? Elvis Presley. What do you do with this? We're going to take it back and erase it. Why? Because I don't have anything profound to say. If you say something profound, we won't erase it. <laughs> if you'll sing me my favorite El Elvis Presley song, you won't have to. What's that? Oh, <laughs> uh, was that Wise Man? Wise men say only fools rushing, but I. Okay. Who is Jesus? Huh? Who is Jesus? I don't know. Welcome to Jesus Is. Can we say Jesus Is? We live in a post Christian nation. And there is millions of people that are our neighbors and fellow citizens who vote beside us in the polls who do not know who Jesus is. So just to thump on your Bible and say the Bible says won't get it. So we are on a journey through the Gospel of John, going through John verse by verse, looking for Jesus and declaring who he is as revealed through the Scriptures. This was the last of the four Gospels that was written by the remaining apostle, the last one to die. In fact, the only one to die a natural death. The rest were killed for their faith. At a time when the new generations in the church began to question as to who Jesus was, and they were coming up with all sorts of weird things and beginning to doubt the other Gospels. And so he wrote this book to declare who Jesus is. And so this book has Jesus saying, I am in it a whole lot more than the other books. And it's an amazing book. I encourage you this year to read it because we're going to be journeying through it. And this week we are skipping a big chunk because of the day in which we are today. Happy Resurrection Day, everybody. And we're going to John chapter 20. So just to give a little context... Last Sunday, we shared that one of the first things Jesus did in his ministry was go to Jerusalem and clean house. He went to the temple where religion had been hijacked by greedy people. Does that sound familiar? You couldn't give in the offering at the temple without temple money. So you had to exchange your money for the temple money, and that's where the money was getting made. Every year at Passover, they were making something somewhere close to 300 grand profit just at the money exchange table. And don't get me started on all the other stuff. And Jesus came in. Here's the temple complex on 19 acres. He cleans house. The purpose of his people, the children of Abraham, were called to be a light to the nations. And they set up this shop, this stockyard, as it were, for selling sacrifices in the place in the temple, the only place in the temple where Gentiles could go. And there wasn't room for them because it was cattle and sheep. Jesus cleaned house. Three years later, towards the end of his ministry, he did it again. And when he did it, he said these words, and he quotes one of the Psalms. He said, My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves alluding to the fact they were called to be a light to the nations, and here they were doing this corrupt activity right there in the place where Gentiles were to gather to hear of the truths concerning God's covenant that he made with Abraham. And so he cleaned house again. Well, needless to say, you don't interrupt people of corruption, gangsters, without there being a price to pay. And so they put it into him. And the father 
God the Father allowed it to happen. He allowed His Son to be killed, even though He was innocent of anything wrong. All He did was righteous things. The Father allowed it to happen so that His death could be the ultimate death because it was the ultimate sin. You know, I can slap you around, but if I slap your child around, that's a bigger offense, right? Knock my tooth out, but knock my child's tooth out. Man, that's, that, that, that's really big. That's hard. And so that was the ultimate of sin that we would kill as a human race. Our forefathers would kill God's son. But God allowed it to happen to demonstrate his incredible love for us. And even while he's going through the pain on the cross, Jesus is praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, which is so true. He prayed the prayer of intercession. If you've ever seen the passion Mel Gibson did a really good job on that part of him praying for them while they were just doing unimaginable things to hurt him and to end his life. Well, three days later, his tomb is empty. And he began to make appearances to his followers over the course of 40 days. On one occasion, he appeared to 500 people. Other occasions, he appeared to individuals, a couple of individuals, and other things like that. And so what we're going to look at today is, I think, his second recorded appearance in John, John chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. The same day at evening, this is the same day, it's Sunday evening, the same day that they discovered the tomb was empty. At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So I imagine they had those doors shut really good. The next sentence is, Jesus came. It doesn't say, then Jesus came, or in a little while Jesus appeared. No, just, just uh, they, were, they were in the doors because they were afraid of the Jews. Jesus came and said to them, peace be with you. Shalom, y'all. <laughs> now notice, his first words to them is peace, not shame. Where were you guys? That my, when I needed you the most, you guys disappeared. Hey, Peter. I got you good on that one, didn't I, boy? No, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Don't you know they were happy? So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As a father has sent me, I also send you. Guys, it's your turn. I'm fixing to ascend back to heaven and you're going to go out and preach my gospel to the world. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Fifty days later, They're going to be in the upper room and they're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so here he is like giving them an earnest or a promise, commissioning them to be sure and receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Luke, in recording a couple of his appearances, said that he told them, that they would preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name throughout all nations. So we forgive sins that are committed against us, 
but the sins that are committed against God, we proclaim God's forgiveness. And this is how we forgive sins. And of course, the other side of that coin is if people don't call on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of their sins, their sins retained. It's paid for, but they don't get the benefits of it. Because Jesus said he's the only way to the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And the Bible says in more than one place, whoever calls on his name will be saved. And so the forgiveness of sins is available to whoever will just say, hey, I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. I recognize my need. And so those who don't call on his name, their sins retained. Verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. You know, you never know what you're going to miss when you don't go to church. One guy embarrassed himself when he told the preacher one Easter Sunday, every time I come to this church, you preach on the resurrection. Do you preach on anything else? The preacher said, well, come more than just on Easter and you'll see. So he wasn't with them and he missed out on this wonderful experience. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails, unless I see and I feel and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Now he's been labeled as doubting Thomas for this. But he was just being honest. It was where he was at. After eight days, which is the following Sunday evening, because Old Testament and New Testament counting of days begins with the day in which you're on, kind of like music. Three steps of music is the first note that you're on, then the second one, and then the third one. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, eight days later, he's with them this time. His disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Then there it is again. Jesus came. The doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Shalom, y'all. Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Notice that. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. The Christian faith is a faith. The Christian walk is a life of faith. We are a people of hope, faith, and love. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 8, 24 says hope, we are saved in this hope, 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We are people of hope. Everybody has hope. If you lose your hope, the desire and will to live is gone. When people become hopeless, they become suicidal. And as believers, we are people of hope because we have a glimpse in our hearts by faith of what tomorrow's going to be. We don't know all the details, but we know everything's going to be all right. Tell your neighbor, everything's going to be all right. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We are saved in a hope that is not seen. If it's seen, then it's not hope. I mean, if you hope you had a chair to sit in, what are you doing sitting in one? There's no need to hope you're sitting in a chair if you're sitting in one, right? So the purpose of hope is to enable us to live the Christian life. Hebrews 10, 38 says, The just shall live by faith. Peter wrote in his first letter, verse 9 of the first chapter of his of first peter said though now we do not see him yet believing we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls all right I'd like to speak to you today on a subject entitled jesus is doubter friendly but first let's watch a little reenactment of this passage that we read we saw him crucified We buried him ourselves. How can he be alive? How could Lazarus be alive? How could blind men see? I'm sorry, but I don't believe that death is conquered that easily. There are too many other possibilities. He is the son of God. Thomas, you must believe. I want to, Mary. Believe me, I want to. But my mind won't let me. I'd have to see for myself. Sure, it was him. Did you see the wounds in his wrists? Something else is going on here. Unless I see the mark of the nails, no. Unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails, I will not believe. Peace be with you. Lord and my God. Yes, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. So our title today to the talk is Jesus is Doubter Friendly. How many have devices that are user-friendly? You ever had a device that's not user-friendly? 
user-friendly means you can learn how to use it without too much difficulty. The learning curve isn't too great for you. Being doubter-friendly doesn't mean that Jesus coddles our unbelief, but he understands where we are and he enables us to begin a relationship with him at any level and begins to grow our faith as we follow him with other believers. He's doubter-friendly. The verse I would like to look at today is the last part of John 20, 27, where he told Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. In the Greek language in which John wrote his book, Jesus literally said, do not become unbelieving. Do not become unbelieving, but believing. Thomas had become unbelieving for several reasons, and we're going to look at some of them. I, I believe he look at some of them. I believe that I understand from the story. But I think it's possible for a person out of anger or hurt or being misguided can become more unbelieving than normal and become proud of the fact that they're a doubter. I think it's fine to be honest with our doubts, but to become proud of our doubts, we've driven a stake in the ground and we're going to look for reasons to not believe rather than being open to God revealing reasons for faith to us. So Jesus is doubter-friendly. Don't become unbelieving. How to not become unbelieving? Number one, receive the peace that Jesus gives. These guys were afraid. They were hiding out because um, if you understand politics in the world, especially in the third world, when there's a, a coup and they bring a leader down, what do they do? Do they stop there? No, they look for all of his followers, and they're going to wipe them all out. They were hiding. You know, Jesus had been brought down. They saw him killed. They saw him buried. They knew where his body was. They were next. They thought. And so they're afraid. And so Jesus appeared, and he gave them peace. He told them earlier, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Another place he said, "In these things I say to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus gives peace that passes understanding. You can have peace in your heart without having all the answers. Because peace doesn't come from answers. I mean, every answer creates a new question. Peace comes from the Holy Spirit. And he can fill us to overflowing with the fruit of peace. Second thing to help us to not become unbelieving is to give up the fear of disappointment. Thomas was greatly disappointed. And not only was was he disappointed that his Lord was killed and buried and his hopes were smashed, he was disappointed he wasn't there when they said he appeared to him. Probably had a legitimate, legitimate reason for not being there. And so not wanting to be disappointed, he held on to the hopelessness as though it was a hope of some sort because he didn't want his hopes to be disappointed. He didn't want to get his hopes up. He didn't want to be disappointed any more than he already was. And so the fear of disappointment kept him from being willing to believe. And if you and I are going to overcome unbelief, We've got to deal with this fear of disappointment and just trust God to help us with our disappointments. 
and He can heal them. But by all means, realize the fear of disappointment is no way to live. I went through a season of my life years ago when our children were small. I had been greatly disappointed. I was afraid of being disappointed again. And I basically believed that to dream anything was evil. Tried to develop some kind of theology around it. I wasn't going to dream anymore. My imagination had gotten me disappointed. I had started a church that didn't work. We shut it down. I didn't want to do that again. But I went to the other extreme. One extreme was dreaming too much and getting ahead of the will of God. The other extreme was not pursuing God at all with my dreams, not even allowing myself to dream. The fear of disappointment. If you live under the fear of disappointment, you're living short of the joy that the Father has for us. Think about that. How to not become unbelieving? Listen to the testimony of others. Listen, tell me that story. How did God bring you through that experience? Listen, here, he, here these guys were. He'd been with them for three years, over three years. He knew they weren't idiots. Why would they lie to him? They were afraid. And here the Lord appears to them and gives them peace. He wouldn't listen to their testimony. You know, to live a life and not believe anyone's testimony is impossible. Our culture would fall apart. The court system would become a total joke. Nobody's testimony can be trusted. Eyewitnesses would, would be questioned and always called into doubt. I mean, how do you know that somebody didn't put that sign up there that said 70 mile an hour that was illegitimately put there? How do you know it's really a school zone? I mean, just to live a life of doubt, not believing anything you see or hear, unless you personally are firsthand witness, that's... Impossible. Society would fall apart. Fourthly, consider all of the evidence. At least consider it. He's like, nope. Unless things happen the way I say, I'm not going to become a believer. Who's God in this thing? There's an Old Testament passage that says, does the clay question the potter? What are you doing to me? God is God. We are not. And so we don't call the shots as to how he's going to have to prove himself to us. Just consider the evidence that's already there. Listen to the testimony of others and give up the fear of disappointment and receive the peace that is yours to receive. Call on the name of Jesus. All on his name. Thomas didn't do that. He just held on to his unbelief. And fortunately, the Lord appeared to him and blessed him. But he told him, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And obey his call on your life. Thomas became such a believer, he carried the gospel of Jesus further away from Jerusalem than any of the other twelve. He took the gospel to India. He established seven churches that are still there today. They need a revival. They're really old and old-fashioned. They're still there. Uh, we had for a few months 
last year in Indian family till they moved to to uh, Houston, worshiping with us. They live between here and Glenrose, precious people. And the wife was a descendant of the converts of Thomas. Became an awesome believer. And so, what is God's call on your life? Obey that call. And that call will always include, I don't care what the calling is, whether it's to be faithful on your job or to go to Timbuktu, that call, which is really a place, that call really is to help others believe. And I'd like to wrap this sermon up by helping others believe today. Watch this. How can we trust that which is unseen? Simple. Look. The shadow proves the sunshine. The echo proves the sound. The steam proves the heat. The watermark proves the flood. The rustling of leaves proves the wind. We struggle to believe what we cannot see. But we cannot see because we're not really looking. The creation proves the Creator. The heavens prove His glory. The Son proves the Father. The cross his love. Evidence to consider. Consider all of the evidence. Here's, here's the historical record. Consider the enemies of Jesus. They wanted his movement destroyed and went to great lengths to end his life. He was killed by professional Roman soldiers, professional executioners, licensed to kill killers, as it were, in the Roman Empire. And his tomb was sealed and placed under 24-7 guard because they didn't want a false resurrection. 
they accused him of saying that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days when he didn't say he would destroy the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They had asked him for a sign to prove who he was as being the Messiah, and he said, the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth. So they wanted to make sure there was no resurrection, no fake resurrection. So they guarded that tomb persistently. And yet, there was the empty tomb. The only explanation was the guards fell asleep and his followers stole the body, but nobody's ever produced the body. And the followers that were accused of stealing the body never confessed to having done so to the point of being tortured and to their own deaths. They held on to their testimony that he is risen. And there's no historical record of any Roman guard being prosecuted for falling asleep on the job at the tomb site. Consider the testimony of eyewitnesses. They're recorded in the Bible by four different writers of eyewitnesses. 500 at one time, 120 at another time, counting the men plus the women. The 12 intimate followers, his family. You know, his brothers weren't sure whether or not to believe in their brother because he shifted gears on him when he turned 30. And they didn't know what to believe about that. But after the resurrection, they came to faith. And his brother James was taken up to the temple and thrown off. You know where Satan tempted Jesus to jump off to see if the angels would catch him? They took his brother James up there and threw him off. And while he's dying from his broken body, they come down there to torment him. He declares his brother is God. Eyewitness testimony. Knowledge is passed on from generation to generation. The reason there's so much wonderful technology in the world is because somebody believed the testimony of somebody before them. And we stop reinventing the wheel. If you drove a car here, that car is built on knowledge that's been passed on and accumulated with more knowledge passed on, accumulated with more knowledge passed on from generation to generation. And so generational passing on of knowledge and history is what our culture runs on. Welcome to the Stone Age if you're really going to live that way. So you really don't believe that. The eyewitness testimony is he's risen and none of them recanted their testimony even to the point of death while being tortured. The Roman Empire, after three centuries of fighting the resurrection story. These Christians wouldn't bow down to Caesar because they believed in God and his son. Constantine, whether he was really converted or not, he put a stop to the denial of the resurrection. Time, as we know it, was recorded in light of the resurrection. We live in the year 2013, Why is this called 2013? Why not 10,013? Why is it 2013? It's all tied to the resurrection. Check it out if you don't believe me. And the final reason or evidence to consider is the enduring results today. Lives continue to be changed 
You're in a room full of people who were addicts, whose lives were a wreck. I tell you what, we were a mess. We called on his name. And he set us on his path. We're not perfect, but we are being perfected. And his movement is continuing around the world. Good is being done in his name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here who has doubts, I pray, God, that you would help them to receive your peace. Holy Spirit, just fill every person here with your peace. Lord, help us to give up the fear of being disappointed and clinging to our doubts as though they would bring us some sort of security. Help us, Lord, to let go of our pride and to admit the fact that we all believe eyewitness testimonies in much of our lives. And Lord, may we approach the story of your death, burial, and resurrection with the same open-mindedness that we approach our technology with. In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you would enable those of us who are believers to share our testimony in such a way that it makes believers out of more people. Lord, I pray you dispel every doubt from every heart. May we be people of faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Lord loves you, and he cares for you, and he's as close as the mention of his name. By calling on his name in faith, Jesus, I believe. If you find yourself beginning to believe the things I shared here today, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. By grace are we saved through faith. And that faith is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. God has given you the ability to believe. Step out by faith on that faith and call on his name and say, Jesus, prove yourself to me. I want to be a believer. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sins. Make me yours. May we stand. Shalom, y'all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord himself cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom peace. In Jesus' name, amen.